Welcome to The Weekender, Montana's half-hour news hour, a podcast from Yellowstone Public Radio. I'm your host, Nikki Willette. Each week, we chat with a reporter to hear how they went about covering the biggest news in the state. This week, we're with the Bozeman Daily Chronicle's Katherine Houghton. She spent a month with the Samuelson family as they struggled to find adequate local care for their micro-preemie, Logan. Later in the show, we learn how to taste beer from a professional. And then we test our producer Ken's knowledge with our news quiz. Catherine Houghton is the city government reporter for the Bozeman Daily Chronicle, but her heart is covering health care. This week, she published a story on Montana's gaps for specialist care, focusing on Logan Samuelson, who was born four months early and delivered weighing one pound, ten ounces. Catherine, thank you so much for coming on the show this week. Sure thing. Thanks so much for having me. How did you first hear about Logan's story, and why did you want to write about him for The Chronicle? About a month ago, I got an email from Jara, who is Logan's mom, and she just kind of laid out what her family's experience had been over the last year. Um, she wrote about Logan and her early emergency delivery um, and just talked about traveling across states to access the surgeries that Logan needed and the intensive care to really help this baby that hadn't finished growing yet. Um, and now he's he's back home. She had she talked about the fact that the family had finally made it home, but kind of figured out how hard it would be to access support services from Bozeman. Um, because Logan's still growing, he relies on a vent that pumps air into his lungs, and that's delivered through a trach in his throat. Um, he also has something called a G-tube, which brings baby formula directly to his stomach. Um, and so he's kind of attached to this equipment for the time being, and his, his only way off of the equipment is through growth. Um, so that left Tyler, um, Jarrah's husband, that left the two of them kind of splitting a 24-hour shift as Logan's nurses when they got back to Bozeman. Um, and Jarrah actually reached out only to ask if, as a health reporter, I knew of any resources they hadn't found yet. Um, and of course I didn't, because honestly, this is this story, it's just one of those niches within kind of the world of health reporting that you don't realize how little you understand until you get an email like that. Um, and reading what Jarrett kind of wrote about, I, I thought about how often I had written these lines that come with health reporting in a big rural state like Montana. And those lines are typically something like, there's a lot of families who have to travel for care, or this hospital expansion here is happening to, quote, keep care close to home. Um, but I really hadn't yet gotten to tell that story of what it looks like when that care doesn't exist, especially when it comes to pediatric services and kind of rare, rare scenarios like this. Um, so then once Jer reached out, I kind of had to awkwardly respond that not only did I not have 
kind of a list of resources to point her toward. Um, but I wanted to kind of intrude on the family's life for a little bit in order to write about their experience, um, which thankfully, after Jara and Tyler kind of talked about it, they, they agreed to let me do that. Yeah, your writing in this story is so incredibly sensory. Um, you write about the feeding tube in his stomach um, that seems kind of like magic to his siblings because it glows all night so that they can find it. And that when Logan has trouble breathing, his ventilator beeps loud enough that Jara can hear it down the hallway and she wakes up from it. Was, was your writing, was it based off stories that they had told you or, or were you there in the room with them? Um, that that definitely came from being there. Um, the glowing detail actually came from Lucas, who's a three-year-old in the house, and he just, on one of my visits, he actually brought me a toy from his room that, that glowed a bit, and he showed it to me and just kind of bragged that his little baby brother also glowed in the dark. Um, so yeah, it was really, I felt like this was one of those stories that felt really important to actually be in the room. Um, I got to see what it's like when Jarrah's home with all three kids in the morning and Tyler is at work. Um, and I'm, I'm seeing kind of the normal daily routines, like grandma bringing Jarrah's caffeine for the day. Yeah, so it's like I'm, I'm there throughout their daily experiences, which was really cool to get to kind of watch, or I was really grateful to get to watch that. Um, I went a few times for bedtime routines, um, which is some of the busiest times, I would say, for the Samuelsons. Um, it's when Tyler and Jara clean around Logan's trach each night, um, which is a two-person job. And I got to stay long enough to hear what the house sounds like when everybody else goes to bed, but one parent. And it's just kind of their movements and the machines that are pumping air into Logan. And I got to see kind of how his siblings interacted with him and, and the fact that they would... Um, they knew to put hand sanitizer on, even though they're only three and seven, every time that they kind of approached his crib. Um, I don't think that Logan's parents would really tell you what their daily, I don't know, their daily routine or their daily struggle to split their shifts with Logan and work and sleep, what that looks like, because I don't know even if they recognize some of the things that to somebody else would seem amazing because again, it, it's a part of their daily life. Um, so the, those details really came down to how much access this family gave me into their life. Um, the Samuelsons were absolutely amazing in that they let this journalist um, with a lot of questions into their home. And, and sometimes even when I tried to avoid it, I would accidentally get in the way when they're trying to kind of balance the normal chaos that comes with two young kids and work plus caring for Logan. Um, so they were just really gracious with their time and, and letting me hang out there um, kind of off and on over a month. So Tyler and Jarrah have pretty much taken over care for Logan, um, which seems surprising to me. Like, I think of Bozeman as this city that's really, like, on a rapid trajectory in terms of population and services. Right. In your beat, you are reporting that Bozeman is one of the fastest growing towns of its size in the entire country. So why is a place like that lacking in specialized healthcare services? Yeah, it's it's funny you say that because Tyler had grown up in Bozeman and one of the things he told me is that he really didn't view it as a rural place at all, especially when you look at some of um some of the rest of the state until he needed services for his son. Um even though Bozeman is growing at such a 
a rapid pace. It's still a town of, uh, I don't know, roughly 50,000 people. Um, we're either right at 58,000 or just below it. And so when it comes to specialty care, really so much of what exists in a place depends on how many people in that place need those services. Um, and so while Bozeman is growing and expanding in a lot of ways, there aren't a whole lot of babies in this town like Logan. Um, there is definitely a group of families who could identify with this story and this experience, but um, a baby like Logan kind of requires, or definitely requires, a team, a big team. Um, Logan's parents traveled from Missoula and then from Missoula to Seattle um, and from Seattle to Portland, each kind of for different treatment or surgery or to see a specialist. Um, and that care just likely would not end up in a town of Bozeman size. Do you see in your reporting anything on the horizon to address gaps in neonatal or um, baby care? Yes, I, I definitely do. There have been steps to access more pediatric services in the state of Montana, and there are definitely more on the way. Um, there are some pediatric specialists who travel um, from places like Seattle Children's Hospital and make trips into Missoula or Billings. Um, and that is one thing that um, I have heard from providers in Bozeman that they would like to see more of. Um, but first off, as far as what services have kind of come here or, or expansions that we've seen, um, a few years ago, Kalispell Regional expanded to create a women's and children's center, which included um, some specialty care for infants. They have a level three neonatal intensive care unit, which means they can deal with babies born with a critical illness um, and offers kind of more of a range of services like respiratory support and advanced imaging. Um, and so that, again, that happened a few years ago or just in recent years. And then Bozeman Health is actually in the process of building the town's first neonatal intensive care unit. Um, and that will start off as a level two, which means they can deliver um, and care for some infants born at 32 weeks or older. And so remember that Logan was born at 24 weeks. So that would not be a solution for babies like Logan. Um, but the health system's pediatric team has said that they hope to bump up that, um, that title to a level three in ICU eventually, which again kind of offers more of a range of services for sick infants. I heard from one doctor at Bozeman Health that really, in order to support subspecialists, it goes back to you need that population base. And she said, otherwise, it just financially wouldn't work out. Um, so there are some things that likely will never come to Bozeman or even the state of Montana unless something drastically changes with the area's population. Um, and even Bozeman Health's president told me that it would be unlikely the new NICU would serve babies like Logan. She said that there are just a certain um, kind of very preterm infants who will always get the best care in a high-volume children's hospital kind of setting. Um, and she said when that's the case, it, it should be the local hospital's role to help coordinate that care for families who, who do end up having to leave town for, for services. You and other reporters in Montana have been spending a bunch of time recently talking about um, rural residency programs trying to attract 
um, you know, doctors in training to um, to kind of ditch the bigger hubs like Billings or Bozeman and work at some of the smaller, more critical access hospitals. Telemedicine is also, you know, making really big strides. Do you see any of those as filling some of the gaps that a family like the Samuelsons might need, even as Logan grows and gets older and, and is a little more functioning on his own? So, yeah, there's kind of like two issues that the Samuelsons face. So one is that kind of idea of access to specialty services. Um, So when it comes to kind of specialty doctors rotating into town, I can see that improving. Um, The other thing that we haven't really gotten to touch on yet is is this idea of pediatric home nursing, which is a really big gap for the family. That would be the person who kind of sits in the room with Logan to make sure that nothing blocks his airway or that his ventilator keeps working or um, that if he gets sick, again, that if he, if he throws up, as babies do, nothing um, kind of gets trapped in the tubes connected to him. Um, and that's, that's a huge thing that's not really connected to hospital systems or um, your typical family provider that the, the Samuelsons are missing. That means um, both Tyler and Jarrah have to take shifts through the night switching places next to Logan um, and kind of balance their, their daily routines and their work and their life with their kiddos with making sure that everything is going okay for the what-if moments next to Logan. Um, but as far as like access to more services, I definitely think telehealth is playing a role in that in Montana. When I was reporting in the Flathead, I remember that there was um, kind of that idea of expanded services to more rural clinics um, so that there were women who, when they were pregnant and they needed to go in and see their doctor, they could also consult with um, a doctor with more specialty care without having to make that trip into Kalispell. Um, and so I think that is something that has improved in the state of Montana um, as far as people being able to get care a little bit closer to home. It just depends on what care they need. You've talked a bit about the impacts Logan's care has had on Tyler and Jera. Um, but you, you write in the story that the hospital bill for his care came out to nearly $9 million. How does a family deal with a bill like that? That's a great question. And I don't know that um, the Samuelsons are far enough along to know yet. Um, they are still getting bills in for some of the treatment that Logan has gone through or even that Jarrah has experienced in getting um, an emergency flight to hospitals. Um, so that, that $9 million price tag that they've kind of added up together, that includes her flight from Bozeman to Missoula when they realized that she was going into labor early. And that includes long hospital stays and intensive care, and that includes the Missoula Hospital and the Seattle Hospital and the Portland Hospital, and kind of the list goes on. And as I was reporting on this story, um, Logan's doctors actually realized that there was a new tear in kind of the wall of his stomach, and so he needed another surgery in Seattle, um, which is typically like a pretty common procedure, but for a baby is not. And so the the bills just kind of keep adding up for this family. And so they don't know how much of that $9 million they're going to end up paying. Um, the good news is that Jarrah has really good health insurance with her current job. 
Um, that's also part of the reason, though, the family is not leaving Bozeman. Um, one, Bozeman is their home, but at the same time, it's that health insurance that's getting Logan access to the machines he needs to continue breathing. And so they, they kind of feel tethered to that health insurance right now. I assume Tyler and Jarrah, you know, being in their early 30s, late 20s, um, that they're still both working um, full time. What has it been like trying to just get basic child care during the day? Right. So that that is actually one of the hardest parts for them is kind of how they continue um, the necessities like working to put food on the table for their entire family and to pay their mortgage um, while having to keep a constant watch on Logan. Um, before Tyler and Jerry even made the trip back home to Bozeman, they started reaching out for services that could help them kind of ease back into life in Bozeman and make sure that there was kind of a support system around them to help take care of Logan. And so Jarrah began calling um, home nursing programs long before they came home, which would kind of provide that person who could sit next to Logan and make sure that all the equipment was still working okay and that nothing had gotten stuck in his tubes or was blocking his airway. And she actually had recorded, um, there were 10 or 11 home nursing programs in the Samuelson's insurance network, and each one of them turned the family down to care for Logan, saying that they weren't able to take on an infant with a trach. Um, and so that left the Samuelsons and the situation that, as I last talked to them, they're still in, which is looking for a nurse who is not only qualified but comfortable staying with Logan throughout the day so that they don't have to split work, work shifts to also be by Logan's side. Um, and then Jarrah also explained just kind of how surprised she was. Um, they reached out to about six primary care providers who said that they wouldn't um, or they weren't able to take Logan on and said another four primary care providers never called her back. And so that was one of those cases where they knew that they were going to have to travel outside of Montana for specialty care like they expected if if they need um, another kind of brain surgery, they're, they're going to go to Seattle for that. Or if his eyes need some sort of surgery, they're going to return to Portland for that. But they didn't expect it would be so hard to find a doctor who is willing to kind of keep up with normal baby things, as they put it, like checking Logan's weight or um, giving him his vaccinations for the season when he's old enough to get those. It was just really hard for them. They described this, this intimidation among providers to deal with their baby um, because of his medical record. I know that the story you published this week focused on neonatal and infant care, but you also report on general health care. Um, what about more broadly in terms of specialty care that's available in Montana? Are there any hubs here? Um, so there's definitely more specialty care in the state's larger cities. Um, and there's actually a lot more care for, say, geriatric patients compared to infants because there will always be more sick people who are older compared to younger. Um, so I would say in places like Billings and Missoula and Kalispell, and I know that there are services that have expanded in Bozeman as well. Um, again, there, there has been a growth in um, hospitals linking up with specialty hospitals 
to that are outside of Montana to offer some of those rotating specialty care clinics. Um, and I think hospitals are also working on kind of developing their own niche within specialty care to, to offer people in the state. Catherine, thank you so much for sharing your reporting with us. Yeah, thank you so much for kind of highlighting this story and taking the time to talk with me. Next up, arts and culture, where we visit one of the gems that make Montana the last best place. This week, we sent our producer, Caitlin Nicholas, to Map Brewing in Bozeman to meet one of Montana's only Cicerones. That's a professional beer person. Loy Meyerhauser and her business partner started Fur Montana three years ago as an events company that uses fermented craft beverages to create positive change in communities. Let's go have a taste. I can just go pour us a couple samples. Okay. And then we can taste. Great. You can test your taste buds. <laughs> I don't think a lot of people know what a Cicerone is. I didn't anyway. Yeah. Could you explain like what that is and also how you found out about it and decided to like pursue that certification? Yeah, great question. Um, so the Cicerone program is sort of like a sommelier, but for beer. I'd been wanting to get into the beer industry for a long time. So I started home brewing when I turned 21, got really into the craft of like perfecting your beer, went to college, decided to be an elementary school teacher. And then when I moved to Bozeman, it seemed like the type of community that was gonna be perfect for me to kind of revisit that dream of getting into the beer industry. But I hear a lot of people that are in the service industry saying like, I'll only be here for a year because then I'm going to get a real job, which is totally understandable and totally respectable. But as someone who's chosen the service industry as my quote unquote real job, um, I guess I felt like getting these certifications like the Cicerone certification was a way to sort of um, elevate myself within this industry to sort of prove to myself if to no one else like this is my chosen path this is my career and it is a valid career and I still have to work hard and grow my knowledge and my skills and my abilities within my chosen path. So what does it take like when you say you studied for over a year um, what does that look like like how were you how do you prepare for this test? Memorizing the details of all the specific beer styles um, you know what alcohol percentages they should be and how like recipes and histories of lots of different beer styles. So that's a lot of it. Um, The Cicerone test also, like I mentioned, talks about beer and food pairing. It talks about serving practices. It talks about the um, beer brewing process and ingredients. There is a tasting portion. So they give you beer samples and you have to taste them and you have to say what style it is or you have to say what's wrong with it and how to fix it. That's intense. That's really intense. (laughs) Yeah, it is. That's amazing that you can taste it and know what happened there. I think that one of the funniest things for me uh, about growing my knowledge in this realm is that now it's really hard to remove myself. Like, it's really hard for me to just sit at a barbecue with some friends and just, like, drink a beer without thinking about it. We should probably do a little cheers. Oh, yeah, cheers. Um, so this beer is um, brewed mostly with wheat, some barley. Uh, and then this style of 
this wit beer style has coriander and orange peel added to it. That so so it's going to have a little bit of that kind of spice, that citrusy. And in this case, it's coming from actual spice and citrus additions. So sometimes those same kind of spicy flavors might come from yeast or um, the citrus flavors might come from hops that are added. But in this case, we have actual coriander and orange peel added. This one also has passion fruit added. So it has the additional kind of like tart tropical thing going on. I can smell that passion fruit right away. That yeah. like that like hits me pretty hard. Yeah, you know, somewhere around eighty percent of your taste comes from your sense of smell. Mm. So it's important to like smell mm-hmm. the beer that you're tasting, which is why you always want like a really nice collar of foam. Um, oh, that actually helps you smell the it beer. It does. Yeah. So when you've got um, like that collar of foam on the top of your beer, that's the CO2 that's kind of releasing and when that CO2 releases is when you're going to get that carbonation. So, oh my word, I had no idea about the science behind like how that foam actually helps you smell the beer more. Yeah, which if you're smelling it more and 80% of your taste is coming from smell, so you're then you're it more. tasting it more. Exactly. Excellent. Okay. Um, so you, you never want your beer to be like full to the top. My business partner, um, Jessie Bussard, uh, she actually approached me. She uh, had the idea to start Bozeman Craft Beer Week because other beer weeks had existed around the state um, and Bozeman didn't have one yet, even though we had a very like thriving craft beer scene here in town. So we decided to start Fermentana as a way to start Bozeman Craft Beer Week. And we decided to expand into doing some beer education uh, and we decided to put together Beer Maven. You know, I mean, I don't think there's a single job in the world that's like 100, 100% every single day of your life. But I think that working in the beer industry, like even on my worst days, like if I'm having a bad day, I'm like, this is like, this is a, such an amazing life. Like I drink beer for a living. <laughs> like. Lloyd's Company for Montana kicks off its Beer Maven workshop series next month in Helena. Details are in this episode's show notes. It's time for the news quiz to test Yellowstone Public Radio's program director, Ken Siebert's knowledge of headline news from around the state. Ken, you have a minute on the clock. Okay. Do you think that you can beat our current champions, Seaborn Larson and Cameron Evans from the Missoulian, who got four correct answers last month? Absolutely not. <laughs> okay. Good luck. Yeah, I'm going to really just lower expectations out of the gate. All right. Here we go. Okay. Three, two, one. Wildlife officials say blank from Canada encroaching on Montana's northern border are a serious problem for farmers and others. That's going to be feral hogs. And that's correct. Advocacy groups told lawmakers this week the state should offer blank for people exonerated of criminal charges after they serve prison time. I have ice cream sandwiches. Financial compensation, but that might be nice. State health officials are urging Montanans to refrain from using blank while a national investigation is um, underway to identify possible health impacts. Uh, E-cigarettes. That is correct. A man who lost his blank while running from Flathead Valley cops called them back to see if they had found it. Uh, His phone? His backpack. So close. 
Missoula County has confirmed 169 cases of blank this year, which is an unprecedented outbreak. Uh, um, the mosquito bite one. Uh, You're thinking West Nile? West Nile virus. I'm looking for whooping cough. <sighs> and buzzer question, someone called Bozeman police to report a stolen pair of blank. Pants? Dentures. Okay. <laughs> That's The Weekender. Come back in two weeks for our next episode. I'm Nikki Willette. Thanks for listening. The Weekender, Montana's half-hour news hour, is produced by Nikki Wallet and Caitlin Nicholas for Yellowstone Public Radio. The music by Caleb Barnt. Partial funding for The Weekender is provided by the Greater Montana Foundation, encouraging communication on issues, trends, and values of importance to Montana. Mm-hmm.